Cool. Well, this is an interesting one. It's a um, it's a reverse escape room. So you you're have, trying to get into a room. You're trying to stop other people from getting in. Uh -huh. So you're in this room, and you know it's this hotel, and tower just, defense. So, and, well, not quite tower defense, but you've discovered that like everyone here is this is like the national cannibals convention, and you thought that you're all waiters, but you're actually the main course. Nice. And so you're in like uh, room service, and you're like hacking the door controls and everything to like stop people from being able to like approach the kitchens and everything. And you've got like a map on the wall of like everything. And you have to solve these puzzles and okay. stuff. Okay. So, so now I have to ask: Have you seen the movie Delicatessen? No. Oh my gosh, I really think you should download it so you can study for it before you're working on this, uh, <laughs> this game. Uh, so it's this French movie, um, mm -hmm. and the director escapes me, but it's one of those directors where I follow everything that he does. He mm -hmm. did, I think it's the Amelie director, like the really like bright colors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Okay. Um, but Delicatessen involves eating people. Um, Is that spoilers? No, nah, not really. I mean, okay. it's, it's straight up like in the title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I think that's straightforward. Mm -hmm. Have we talked about how I got a second cat on the podcast? I don't know. I don't think so. It's like my cat life. So I got <laughs> we got another kitten, and uh, so they do this really cute thing where on the, the kitchen table, which is indeed round, uh, they're like one cat will be on top and one cat will be on a chair, and they like never the tween shall meet is either <laughs> one or the other. It's really adorable. I really love having two cats now. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. A plus would recommend two cats. <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to balance my microphone on top of a board game box right now. Hold on a second. Oh, which board game? Uh, Werewolf. Oh, oh cool. I, I bought. I picked I, it I, on I, the podcast last week, right? I, well, so I picked One Night Ultimate Werewolf, and I actually played a different werewolf at that conference. Mm -hmm. um, so then immediately after I played Ultimate Werewolf with, or One Night uh, Ultimate Werewolf with some friends and family, um, I decided I needed to buy the not one night version and actually have a longer werewolf game. So th this mm -hmm. one is the Ultimate Werewolf, which is rated for five to seventy five players. <laughs> nice. Ages so, thirteen and up. So I we have a guest today, so I think let's let's go ahead and uh, put on our guest to introduce themselves. So well. First, I guess I can say that, uh, so I met uh, at PJF, that is your Twitter handle, Yes, right? that is my Twitter handle. So, so Paul Fenwick, uh, in the, I actually feel a little guilty because I keep inviting recursors onto the podcast, but I can't blame Recurse Center for having such a pool of awesome people. But so, so Paul was a resident at Recurse Center and I went and saw him at a, some speak a lecture for, uh, in New York and... And I invite him on the podcast. And so while he's in the States, he, he was kind enough to say that you could come on the podcast. So now I'm going to punt and ask you to do your like introduction of yourself. I have a very hard time introducing myself. It's a hard thing to do. Because I have a lot of varied interests. Cool. So I find myself saying that I'm a freedom-loving scientist is like the official tagline. Um, uh, troublemaker from the internet is what ends up being on... Uh, my LinkedIn profile. I do like Troublemaker from the internet. Me, That's a good title. Me too, because I tend to cause trouble wherever I go. Do you have business cards set on a business card? I kind of have unbusiness cards. Unbusiness um, cards? But I'm in the process of remaking okay. them. Okay. Because okay. my interests keep on changing, so I have to change the list of interests which are on there. So have you considered, like, how could we make a digital business card so that you could 
that you could connect it to a port and then get the updated card. I, I seem to think that's... Oh, well, you know, you could go to pjf.id.au, which is okay, my, true. The my website. Okay, this. Yeah. And then there's buttons you can click on there for GitHub and for Facebook and for Twitter and all those other sorts of places that exist on the internet. Um, otherwise, I feel that digital business cards is something that people have made multiple times. They've tried so hard. Throughout history in multiple incompatible formats. Yes. So we should make our own standard that combines them all. <laughs> yes. Yes, we and unite everyone standard. behind that. Yes. So, yeah, so you have a, a lot of things going on. So I actually, I, I have a thing that I specifically, I must admit, I might have invited you on the podcast just because I want to talk about this game. So I saw that you streamed on Twitch the Kerbal Space Program. Yes. And so you have a book about there's this? There's a book. It, did you write this book? This, this... I'm co-author of the oh, book. Oh, awesome. So there's... Um, so, five... so what's, what's this game? So like, oh, let's back up there. Oh my goodness, Kerbal Space Program. Okay, so Kerbal Space Program is a really fun game where you start off and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm building rockets and I'm putting them into space. And it feels like a fun building game. Sounds cool. And what you realize is if you send rockets sort of straight up, they come back down again. In fact. And it's like, oh, I need to like make them go sideways to get enough uh, horizontal momentum to get orbital velocity. And then it's like, well, how do orbital mechanics work? And eventually you discover you're like learning orbital mechanics. So yeah, to are play you this game. are you learning rocket science? You're kind of learning rocket science. Okay. So and there's it sounds a, like I'm into this. Well, it's a it's a great game. And then um, I discovered there are all these wonderful mods for it. And one of the mods is called Realism Overhaul, which gives you the real solar system rather than like this little toy solar system and everything. Cool. And there are like contributors from NASA on that. So like everything is in exactly the right place and all of the um, uh, planets are in the right locations and everything. And after that, you, um, uh, you've got real hardware as well. And so I remember at one point I downloaded NASA's own mission planning software. Oh my gosh. And I was using that That's to figure so out cool. when my launch window was to get to Mars, but right. the software didn't compile properly under Ubuntu, so I'm like now patching the build system for NASA's mission planning software. Which is all open source, right? Which is all open source. Yeah, and so I'm like, have I gone cool. too far in this game or is this absolutely amazing? Um, but anyway, the, amazing. Too deep, or is it oh, thank amazing? You. Actually, yes, amazing. Um, but my sort of claim to fame with uh, Kerbal Space Program is uh, that there is a mod manager called the Comprehensive Kerbal Archive Network, which is it came out of me writing the chapter for mods and saying there's got to be an easier way to like keep these up to date. Paul, is this a package manager? It's a package manager. Never write a package manager. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like never write a book. Yeah. Um, but it is quite literally um, the the Debian package management system. It's apt-get but oh, implemented okay. for, for Kerbal Space Program. So cool. it does all of the uh, dependencies and conflicts, and you have to have this particular version, and, and all of these other sorts of things. And um, it's all free, and it's open source, and it runs on Mac and Linux and Windows with the same executable, which is super, super exciting. Um, Wait, whoa, same executable for all the Same platforms? executable, because it's, it's written for the .NET framework. So the same way that you'd write something for the Java virtual machine, um, we've written this for the .NET virtual machine, and the reason for that is that Kerbal Space Program is a Unity game, which is .NET. Oh, true. So you're writing in C Sharp? In C Sharp. Okay. And it was very interesting, because this was my very first C Sharp project. Interesting. And it took me, it was five weeks and 300 hours to sort of do the initial did you track that? burst. I did very much track that. Cool. Um, and uh, using a program called Tag Time, which I might talk about later. And, um, yeah, I sort of released this to the world and said, look, it's, it works. And um, we got all these contributors, all these great open source contributors. And um, people would come into the IRC channel. They're like, 
who wrote this code? It's like someone who's never programmed in C Sharp before. And I'm like, hey, Guess it's, who? it's my learner project. And they're like, why is everything done with regular expressions? And I'm like, because I'm a Perl person. So no. the code is much better now. Um, wow. And it's been really lovely because uh, the contributors have been wonderful in teaching me like C Sharp best practices. So, huh. so my recommended way to learn a new language is to start a very successful project with a hundred thousand users. <laughs> and they'll a, all tell you everything you did wrong. And absolutely guaranteed the internet will tell you when you've done things wrong. <laughs> was anyone mean though? Sorry, what was that? Was anyone mean? Um, no, everyone's been really lovely. Okay. Uh, we have like a, a strong code of conduct and everything. And, you know, I'm very enthusiastic about getting people involved. So, um, I've actually recently stepped down from policy decisions because there's lots of policy uh, stuff which takes right, a lot of time. Open source projects. There's yeah, we can maybe discuss that later if you want. But I'm still. Uh, I hope once I get back to Australia to continue to be involved with uh, with technical work and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very cool project. People started to sort of take the technology and use it for other games as well. So there's the the uh -huh. cool Factorio archive network I've recently seen, and um, I'm hoping I can sit down and sort of more generalize it so you can plug in game frameworks and and have a package manager. Cool. Yeah. Can can you play Kerbal multiplayer? Yes, you can. Um, so not with the stock game. Um, it's a mod. But there's a mod called Dark Multiplayer. Awesome. Um, written by another Australian. There's a lot of Australians involved with the Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> and um, it actually does some very, very clever things with timelines. Because obviously, if you send a mission to Mars, it takes months to get there. Yeah. And then you have people like, you know, maybe you're doing missions on Earth and everything. And it does clever things. Because you can say, well, I'm going to Mars and I want to make sure I can, like, connect with this timeline and it will let you do that. So you can do very clever, like, multi-timeline Kerbal Space Program things. I almost feel like writing fan fiction about this. Yeah, I feel like that is probably a thing that should happen. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't played a lot of Kerbal because I don't have a Windows PC. It doesn't really run very well on my Mac. Oh, um, it, it runs really well on Linux. So if you want to install Linux it? on your Mac, yeah, yeah, it does <laughs> amazingly well. Um, but it just came out for PlayStation 4, and I'm usually a couch gamer, so I'm excited to try it on there. Okay, um, cool. But on, uh, I'm not sure if it's on Android, but on iOS, there is another game called Simple Rockets, which is like a 2D Kerbal. Mm -hmm. And uh, they even have a link to to Kerbal in the app. Um, oh, cool. As like a, as like a homage. Um, but that's pretty pretty great on your phone if you're just like laying on bed and want to play with uh, orbital physics. Awesome. No, I have not encountered that yet, so I'll, I'll have to check it out. So what sort of things do we normally talk about? Do um, we cover things like, um, um, I don't know if you've been keeping up to date with the GPACs? GPACs? Yeah, so so one of the things which I'm very much interested in is autonomous vehicles okay. and the ethics around those and technological unemployment and um, what happens when you get your first zero day and you've got millions of autonomous vehicles okay, which are deployed. Okay, is, is GPAC a package? Oh, sorry, sorry, Jeep. As in Chrysler Jeeps oh. getting hacked. Oh, Jeep hacked. Yes. Oh, Jeep hacked. Yes. yes, sorry. It I realized like I should combine that all together into one word with my Australian accent. And, <laughs> and it'll cool. be like, what's this new technology? Is it a JavaScript framework? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so, I mean, so we were both at Hope. Did you get into the car hacking session? I tried. I, did I tried. Not. It was packed. I did not get into the car packed. hacking session. So, yeah, so they had a, a session there, and I, I was curious if you had gotten into it. But, so yeah, so more about the the G pack. Well, it's been because it's, it's actually it's very like it's a very illegal to reverse engineer cars. Well, it's really oh the legality of all this stuff is is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, the stuff which happened with Jeep was that there was a media center on a whole bunch of Jeeps, and it had you know some weak uh, wireless keys that it generated, 
And so you could get a third-party device that was not supposed to connect to, to like connect to it. And then there were vulnerabilities in that. And, you know, you could change what Taylor Swift song was playing or whatever you, <laughs> whatever you wanted there. Um, but the media center was hooked up to, uh, with a one-way bridge to the drive bus, to the CAN bus. And of course, oh. it's a, it's a one-way bridge. So the idea is that you can, you know, see how many kilometers you've driven and your fuel efficiency and all of those sorts of things. But you could compromise the bridge to be a two-way bridge. And then you could inject things onto the drive bus and you can do things like apply the accelerator and the brakes and turn off the transmission and like all of these other things which are like genuinely dangerous things to do. And so there is this great article, um, I don't remember which news site has it, but I think it was Ars Technica, um, about uh, this reporter who's like, okay, I'm going to drive this vehicle and we're going to have these security people like hack the vehicle oh, while I'm in yeah, it. Yeah, I did hear about that. And it was, okay, now it's the sound. Yeah, and it was very, very so cool how they did that because like yeah. he's driving along and like they lock people all the doors. Are, like, attacking. Yeah, yeah, but they like lock all the doors and they like turn the, the air conditioning on full and they like change like the, there's like a display to like a video and it's like, your car is being hacked. And, and like all the Hollywood stuff, because obviously you and, can't just hack a car. You have to do a Hollywood style hack oh, of the car. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's like a totally interesting, completely separate topic about how the way we make technology is so intertwined with our media. Absolutely. And like, but the thing of like, we're, we're making smartwatches that look like the things we had, like they look like communicators. Yeah, like, absolutely. Because that's what we want. Like I, I saw communicators and I want a communicator. Yep. And so like this relationship between, between artists who are trying to imagine the future, which I know is another like topic you're super interested yes, in. Yes, it is. The future. And how that also informs what we do. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, this is always like the book I bring up of like the, the most interesting book I never finished, uh, The Information, A History of Theory of Flood. Because mm -hmm. my favorite analogy in it is that, is talking about language and technology mm -hmm. and saying that, like, we invent language to understand our technology, but, but, like, until we have invented that language, we use the language we have. Mm -hmm. So, like, this, the, one of the simplest examples to understand is that a car is a horse's carriage. Yes. Like, a car has no relationship to a horse. Like, it really, like, well, it, it obsoleted the horse, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I still like horses. I don't know if they're obsolete. No, well, it obsoleted the horse as a form of, a of transport. Yeah. I know. yeah. A joke. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but like that we, that we fit things into the model of what we understand now that we have files and directories and like these mm -hmm. are all related to that skeuomorphism, which is an awesome word. Yes. What was that word again? Skeuomorphism. Skeuomorphism. Yeah. Skeuomorphism is the design concept of, like, why does the notepad look like a piece of legal paper? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no reason it should. And it's why very... does the save icon look like a little square thing? Yeah. yeah. Why? <laughs> like, why does that communicate save? Because at some point, that was actually how you save things. I love, I love the meme on the internet of like a three and a half inch floppy disk yeah. and the subtitle like, wow, you 3D printed the save icon. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so. I, I love the idea also of, um, uh, this concept of like files and directories and those sorts of things. Um, I read a wonderful essay a while ago on um, internationalization of computer programs and, and prompts and everything and right. how difficult that is based upon different languages. Ooh, yeah, we're going to have to find that. I, I will happily find it for you because it gives you these beautiful examples. And um, one of the examples is like, you know, in Russian, it can be quite tricky to 
um, uh, like, you know, there are different ways of counting than you experience in English. Um, in Japanese, which I know a little bit of Japanese, you have different counters for... Why do you know a little bit of Japanese? Um, because I was an anime nerd when I was younger, <laughs> and I started the anime club at Melbourne University, nice. and I've been to Japan to go to tech conferences, um, and it's really fun as well. Nice. I can rave about how much fun it is learning other languages. Um, but Japan has different uh, counters based upon is this like a round flat thing or is this a long thin thing or is this an animal or is this something else and it's like well what shape are your files and what shape oh. are your directories and so which counter do you oh, use so for these and it's really really interesting because by depending upon the counter you provide in Japanese it gives different like visualizations of what that looks like. Right, you're you're informing people's mental model. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I love Klingon for similar reasons. Um, Klingon gives you ways of, of way, ways of expressing like how certain you are about a concept. So when you say that you know an enterprise class ship has warped into the sector, you can add it's just an extra syllable information saying I'm definitely sure this is an enterprise class ship, or I'm not sure about it, or you know when I say three have warped into the sector, how sure am I that it's number three is it more or less than that and you can use this for things like reporting file sizes where it's like this is a precise size versus this is a sort of a vague size and I feel that would be good for you know download counters when it says it would be 14 minutes to download you can indicate actually I'm not that sure about that but mm -hmm. but not many people have Klingon fonts installed um, on yes. their systems I have fixed yes. with Klingon fonts on my system nice. uh, for programming with uh, but not many people do so maybe that's something we'll see as we get more Star Trek nerds totally yeah, and um, have you seen the latest Star Trek movie? I have not. I haven't either. Yeah. Um, but I have gone to the so I have gone to the Star Trek experience at the Intrepid. Awesome. Which is very very cool, and they have little um, NFC wristbands. So when you're going through all the Starfleet Academy tests, it can track who you are, and you can actually read them using your phone. So that was right. the first thing I checked was like putting my phone on here, and then it's like, can I then fake my wristband to the devices and everything Absolutely. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't quite get that working but I'm pretty sure that with a bit of effort you given, could. Yeah given effort and time. Exactly. Um, that's oh yeah that's, that'd be a fun hack. And then I'm like could I scan other people's wristbands as I'm going through the Starfleet Academy and, right. and faking gather, their results. Gather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure if you could gather their data um, but certainly you could, the system on their you could fake you could fake them uh, yeah. on the system and then change their profile picture in your Starfleet Academy card. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, but with the G-Pack, um, mm -hmm. one of the interesting things with that was that originally it was thought, oh, well, you just need to have, like, uh, you need a local device in order to, to pick up the Wi-Fi and then hack the Jeep. Okay. Um, but then because the Jeep's uh, media center has Wi-Fi in it, you then have that uh, futuristic thing right where, yeah, well, your car could be driving down the highway and it can be scanning for vulnerable vehicles around you. And then you can transmit whatever payload you've got to those vulnerable vehicles. And then, of course, there was this discovery that actually all the cars were connected to the cellular network. And nice. if you were on the right cellular network, you could just bulk scan for affected vehicles. So I think it was 1.4, 1.5 million vehicles got recalled because of this hack. Because uh, otherwise it was like... Okay, I, I was, that was going to my next question. was like, did they recall these vehicles or well, did they issue a patch? And this is one of the reasons why... Well, they did but issue like, a patch. Okay. But to apply the patch, you had to like... Download it onto a USB key and plug that into your car. Oh, yeah, that sounds super safe. No one's going to do that. No. Like, absolutely no one's going to do that. So they ended up recalling the vehicles. 
Um, and I'm kind of glad this is happening with uh, like a small number of vehicles now. 1.5 million vehicles seems like a lot. In the scheme of things, now. But it's nothing compared to like all the cars in the United States. Yeah. And so starting to see improvements in, in vehicle security, I think, is something that's very important, especially as we end up with them being heading more towards being fully autonomous. Yeah. So... So I don't think I talked about this on the podcast yet, but or maybe I did. But at ChangoCon, um, my friend Junbei gave a talk, which the video should be online eventually if they aren't already because Confreaks is there. But about the the historical view of cities from the perspective uh, of cities as cyborgs from the mm-hmm. perspective of 2050. So he, mm-hmm. he was a historian in 2050 looking back on this. And one of the things that I really wanted him to include, in this, this is the thing that's not actually even in the talk, but one of the things like that, in terms of random, like, cyberpunk future ideas, I want to think about is how a bicycle could be a radical device because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a computer in it. It's untracked. Yeah. So, so if, if you, you leave your phone at home, then you're off the grid. Whereas if you're in a car or if you're on the subway and you use a subway card, you're on a bus, like, any other method of transit other than your feet or a bicycle mm-hmm. is completely trackable and you can, you know, cross-reference and create a record. Well, even if you leave your phone at home, your car is still very, very trackable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have cameras everywhere. Phone with the bicycle. Yes. Um, although you still have potentials face for tracking. face recognition. I don't know if you've yeah. seen the, the anti-face recognition makeup. No. It's really oh, cool. Oh, my gosh. And it okay. looks, like, super, like, all the sort of cyber, like, makeup and everything you see in, like, future sci-fi movies and everything. It looks they got like rid- that. It looks like that. Uh, yes. And so, and, like, it involves particular hairstyles as well. So you have, like, a... Uh, like a spike of hair that goes over one of your eyes to like confuse the system and everything, and you have all these like dark black lines and stuff and blocks of color. This totally which, sounds very neuromancer. It's very asymmetric. It's yeah. very neuromancer. Um, part of me is tempted to like you know start up a, a face recognition obscuring style cafe sort of thing. I love that this is makeup, by the way. Me too. Me too. Um, I really, really love that. Yeah. It's I, makeup I and really hairstyles. Love, yeah, makeup and fashion and technology all together is super duper fun. Mm, mm. There's this uh, there's this fun Twitter account called Startorialist, like Startorialist, but Startorialist, mm-hmm. and they they uh, post things about the intersection of astronomy and fashion. Cool. So I I saw fun. one cool hack for defeating uh, facial recognition and facial detection, which is simply you get a like a standard like baseball cap, uh-huh. and you put. Uh, 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 infrared LEDs on it. Mm. And so, so it'll mess with the eye tracking? It messes with, well, a lot of cameras will see into infrared. And so, which is. They won't see into no, infrared. No, they will. They, they will. do oh, see into infrared, okay. which is why you have a lot of these cameras which are able to see perfectly clearly at night because they have infrared right. illumination and they right, have right, the camera right. there. And so most of your cameras which you use for like CCTV stuff do see into infrared because it gives you better night vision. So if you have infrared LEDs, which are like really bright on your cap, humans don't see them, but it it means you're just like this big white splotch, this overexposed splotch on security cameras. And you show up very, very clearly if you've got a human looking at the security camera, like this person is trying to avoid being seen by the security camera. But at the same time, it's the whole thing of like, if everyone uses encryption, then Well, yes, and and that would be lovely. That would actually be lovely. And maybe that would be a fun thing to do for a security conference sometime, is to like deck (laughs) deck people out with caps and like, you know, little collars and stuff. Do you think think the caps could say like, make make privacy great again? Oh my, God. <laughs> I, Too soon? Oh no. my goodness. Okay. I at watching US politics 
has been like amazing, and um, I actually saw uh, yesterday. Yeah, you remember both conventions. Sorry, so I was. You were you were here in the U.S. during both. Political I, I was, I yeah. was. Um, although I mostly watched summaries after them, I, right, I like, tried to watch little bits of them. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, yeah. But I watched uh, somebody. One of my friends posted a a graph that I honestly thought was like Pokemon gyms that controls because there was a blue line and a red nice. line and a yellow line, uh-huh. and the yellow line was way lower than everyone else, and the blue <laughs> so and red lines kept gyms, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like no, these were actually like you know. Political support political for the candidates, yeah. Nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the U.S. political system is interesting to watch at the moment. Oh. Did you um, did you see that I wrote some recurse center fanfic? No. Yeah, on the. Okay. Is it on the public internet? It's on Zulip. Okay, so this so, is a recurse center only thing. So it's bummer, a recurse. Bummer for our listeners. It's a it's a recurse so center. Zulip is the internal chat client. Because really, anyone outside of Recurse Center doesn't really know what Zulip I really want to write some Recurse Center uh, Ghostbusters crossover fanfic. Oh, yeah. Because there's a classic line from Ghostbusters, there is no Dana, there's only Zool. Oh, And yeah, I want yeah. it to be, there is only Zool-lip as being oh. like this really, really cheesy line. But one thing which I had... But, but you have to like make it a shaggy dog story, though, if you oh, do Oh, absolutely. No, okay. it's... Like, it has be... to have like... like Pages and pages. Absolutely. Until you get to that line. Absolutely. I'm, okay. I'm definitely going to do that. Good. But one thing which I had in the Recurse Center uh, fanfic is uh, if you've ever been in the, the lift well in the Recurse Center, it's like this tiny little room <laughs> the, that gets... The elevator area. The elevator area. It gets, it. it gets used for, for interviews. And yeah. so... You know, someone once got locked in there overnight. The <laughs> elevator was broken and the door was locked. Oh no, that's terrible! It was it was really that's sad. Terrible. And then someone they, came in the next morning and they have their, their phone charger. was dead. Oh no! Yeah. So, but anyway, carry on. Well, I'll, I might include that in a later episode. But yeah, if you, you could put that in a fanfic. If you read um, uh, Alan Turing's original paper on the Turing test, okay, one of the things which he has in there is the importance of ESP hardening your machine room. Because if somebody has, like, powers of telepathy, then they could look through the wall what? and tell, is it a human or a machine? Please tell me how you ESP proof. On the other side. I don't know. I presume you use lead. Like, I've read lots of comics and they foil? use lead or tinfoil or something. <laughs> but in the Rikus Center fanfic, it has that little lift well is ESP hardened. And so it's all of the... Because um, uh, it's it's uh, the Rikus Center for Gifted Hackers... Uh, and, you know, it's an X-Men crossover. That would be and a so good tagline, actually. It would be yeah, a good tagline. Like and so it. all the recursors are, like, you know, developing these super mutant powers. And it's like, we've got this lift well, so nobody can disturb us unless they're delivering food. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the prerequisite, is that the yes. only reason you can enter is for food. Reasons. Yes. <laughs> but I hope to put that up on Archive of Our Own at some point. But I want to get okay. permission from all the people I've actually written into the fanfic yeah. first. Yeah. yeah, so there's a little process. That would be cool. Though. Yes. Um, I went to a, um, a science conference uh, a few years ago called Science Food, and um, there was a really, really interesting thing there looking at children's perceptions of personhood as it relates to robots. Yeah. So, so normally, if you have like a little robot, like a child's toy robot, okay. then if you have young children, we're talking before they can speak, so like two years old, two or they three years old. They start anthropomorphizing the robot. Well, normally they they don't. It's like this is a little toy, but they know that it's a toy, and they might play games with it and everything. Sure. But they don't necessarily say, well, you know, it's got like it, it has thoughts. It's, and it has thoughts of its own and everything. Okay. 
Um, but there was this beautiful video, and I don't know if this is online, um, where you had researchers and um, child intelligence researchers, for want of a better phrase, and um, um, you know they they had this robot, and the robot sort of you know looks over the child's child's shoulder, and the child doesn't react. It's like okay, the robot moves occasionally, and it's like if you you know go to a place and there's like an animatronic something, you don't really treat that as if it's a if it's a person. But then you have an adult who's like, oh, hey, robot, do you want to play a game? And the robot looks at the adult and nods its head. Okay. And it's like, do you want to play the mirror game? And the robot nods its head. And the adult's like, okay, can you do this? And like raises one arm and the robot raises its arm. And right. then it's like, you know, how about you do this? And the human like, you know, crosses their arms and the robot crosses its arms. And it's like, now it's your turn. And the robot does something and then looks over the child's shoulder. And the child will immediately like look behind them to be like, what is the robot looking at? And it's this very, very clear. They're now treating this robot as if it's a person. And when the robot reacts to the environment, the child reacts to the robot reacting to the environment. Is there a conclusion about this developmentally? Um, like, is this helping Skynet? I I don't know what the conclusion was. I was just so excited at seeing this. Um, <laughs> yeah, but certainly, really certainly, this whole idea of like you know what do we treat as a as a person is something that develops at a very very early age. And you know, yeah. dogs get treated as people. If the dog looks at something, then you know it's clear this. We know the dog has autonomy and a level of consciousness, so we 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 react to what it reacts to. And this was a, a very very interesting thing of doing that with what was quite a simple toy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think one of the reasons why I think about it developmentally is because as soon as you started saying that, I thought about, like, um, I mean, this is uh, vegetarian kids. Mm -hmm. So vegetarian kids, when you meet people who were either raised vegetarian or they went vegetarian from a very young age, like mm -hmm. they kind of just had a, a realization of, like, if you tell a kid what a hamburger is, a goodly percentage of them will be, like, cows. Cows are cute and interesting, yeah. and I don't want to be responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And it just clicks. And so when I think developmentally, is I wonder like what experiences like that with robots mm -hmm. will have on children in terms of their ethics throughout the rest of their life. Yes. So that that's why I wonder if it's going to well, help Skynet take over us so all. So much of that, oh my goodness, in terms of Skynet taking over... Um, so I want to talk about in vitro meat now as well because it's okay. A so what's this? Totally fascinating topic, but I also want to talk about Skynet and empathy with robots. Yeah, empathy with um, robots is definitely a topic that I'm interested in because I remember people telling me it's like, oh, we're not going to feel empathy for robots and blah 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 and all these things. Because I will argue to people, it's like I think robots are going to make better companions than humans. Um, and everyone tells me, no, we're not going to feel any empathy for robots. But if you see the, there's a video from Boston Dynamics with the robot dog. Okay, yeah. And it's, uh, I'm sure we can find it and put it in the notes. Wait, is that the one with the, where it's kind of creepy? Well, it's, 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 there's one point where the researcher kicks the robot dog. Oh, and you, you're like, oh my god, that's so terrible. Don't absolutely, kick dogs. absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and it scrabbles, like it scrabbles in yeah, this very, very lifelike like, way to stay it. upright. Yeah. Now that's a direct result of its programming where it's, it's got great models on how to stay upright. Right. And it being like a quadruped. And so that just happens to be the way you stay the upright as a quadruped. Upright, yeah. But you have this immediate reaction of like, that is very dog-like and it very much doesn't want to be kicked over and you're a mean researcher who kicked the dog. Yeah, you were a bad person. You're a bad person. And it's quite yeah. obviously a robot, but I had this immediate emotional response like yeah. to that. And I'm like, this is not even a robot trying to manipulate me emotionally. Like, Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. true. And then you get into motives of 
Oh my gosh, so we're going to have sociopathic robots? We're definitely going to have sociopathic robots. Well, it depends on what their fitness functions are, I think. And there's so many potentials for the fitness functions to not be quite what they should be. Um, But I know that Japan has, I think it's Japan that has the robot seals that are like these little comfort robots. And they have big, adorable eyes and they make beautiful noises. And like, you know, they react to little baby seals and they react to you like, like, you know, patting them and everything. Um, there's one robot, uh, which has a hilarious, um, uh, video about it called, uh, Zenbo. And it's, it's ludicrously cute as a robot. And it's essentially what happens if you take, um, a mobile phone and you turn it into a really cute robot and you make a ludicrous video about it. And I don't think that it's going to be widely adopted, but it's certainly interesting to see like this idea of a, of a household robot that you will like remind you if something goes wrong or remind you of things um, and like answer the door for you and will observe if you've like fallen over and need assistance and those sorts yeah, of know, things. Yeah, I know that like elderly adults and things like that are definitely a, a use case for that. If you if you could choose the shape of your helper robot, like so like the seals or like a comfort robot, if you had to choose a shape for your household robot, and I'm gonna make, a student Gervon had an answer, so actually I'm gonna make one of you all answer. Like mm. if you had to pick out like what like what kind of shape would your robot be in? You want me to tell you what shape the robot would be in? Yes. Square. That is the question. Square no okay, fine. A companion cube. Yeah, com- oh yes, yeah. what is a companion cube? Alright, so If it floated, sure. Luckily luckily portal exists so your punt answer fits. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, yeah. What I would, would you? What would you have? So I, I was wondering, like, if I wanted to be an animal, mm-hmm. like, if I would want it to be like a rabbit, or like, how big would I want it to be? Like, mm-hmm. would I want it to be a large thing? I feel like it might intimidate me if it's big. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm kind of afraid of big dogs. It's just like a random thing. Well, about you me. know, I think the I had uh, experience as a child. If if a dog is, and I'm short, so like, if a dog is bigger than me, like when it stands up, it scares me. Yes. Um. And so, like, I think I would want my robot to be smaller, mm-hmm. um, but probably cat size. Okay, um, maybe I'm just a cat for person. Me, for me, if I, I had like a, a if I had a household robot, so me being me, it's like I want everything to be art as well. Okay. And so, having a robot, I want something which would like invoke a response with people and just be on the edge of creepy. <laughs> and so, a s- like just barely, so that, and then, and of course, your robot would have a recording feature so that it would record first interactions. Ab- well, absolutely. So, every time. so having something which is a, like a spider-shaped robot, I feel makes uh. a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly, because it gets that creepy reaction. But it also would be super mobile, and it would also be very, very super mobile. Yeah, and um, and again, Boston Dynamics is fascinating to see here. because um, they have one of their dog robots which has um, essentially an arm on its back that is able to manipulate objects and is able to, like, if it falls over, it can, like, push itself back up using this arm. Right. Um, And, of course, the obvious thing which goes, like, the the bad future there is you replace the arm with a weapon. And (laughs) you now have, and it's not a very hard feature to see. A utility arm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it's a defense feature. You could use it as a defense feature. There are also, I'm trying to remember the names of of the robots that NASA has. Well, yeah, no, it is. It is. And, And, like, Often robots get developed for military purposes first. Yeah. Um, there's... I mean, that's like the internet. <laughs> most most technology, yes. I would say, gets. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other topic. Well, you know, for defense or pictures of cats, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I know that uh, that NASA has these robots that I I can't remember their name, 
but they look like Daft Punk in space. Okay, we're going to have to look into that. They, they very much look like a Daft Punk concert in space. Um, but they're designed that um, uh, you can, um, like they, they're human-sized and they have like human-like hands. So rather than needing to develop things which this can be used by humans and then a separate interface for robots, it's designed that they can essentially do these human tasks with human-style um, grasping motions and everything else. And so I, of course, you know, joke about this, you know, you can open human doors and you can use human tools and you can like equip human weapons with these robots. Um, but, you know, they're still very, very much in their infancy. Uh, but one of my friends, Deanna, who was a previous recursor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know, do you know Deanna? Deanna and I were in the same batch. Yeah. Of so Deanna, Deanna for, uh, I, I can drop a link to her GitHub in the, Absolutely. In the show notes, but she's a roboticist. She is awesome. She is super, super cool. And when I was working on, um, in Melbourne, I was working on these costumes um, with little Arduino microprocessors in them uh, using teensies. Hey, the flower one? Oh, teensies. Yeah, yeah, okay. using little teensies. And um, the idea was that these were reactive costumes. So they had accelerometers in there. Um, so, you know, if you moved or you were doing a circus performance and you did a drop or something with your aerials. You, is this the thing? I feel like you were talking about recently that you had a circus performance that went on where you're here. Is that yeah, that? Yes, that was oh, that. Okay. Well, that was, that was back they in Melbourne. That. Right. And I did the, the hardware for it. All my hardware and software worked fine, which was really, really good. So how did um, you, okay, well. Well, I, I was going to say, Deanna swooped in when I was having build problems, and it's like, oh, you need a build system for your hardware. Here, I'll just, I'll just give you that. Aww. And so that made my life much, much easier. Um, and discovering also that I could properly code Arduino uh, uh, microprocessors using C++. And so now every... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard people say this, but it never properly sunk in. And mm. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. So now all of my... Every component on the board has its own class, Nice. And yeah. when you create that class, it initializes it properly. And so it does, you know, self-test to see if that hardware is actually working and, you know, all of these other sorts of basic things. And so my life became much, much easier once I refactored my code to have nice discrete classes for, for everything. Nice. So the, the question that comes to my, or Justin, is that like you might want to ask something? No, no I was just going to say, when you ask what a robot should look like in your house, I was going to say um, Johnny Five. <laughs> oh yes. yeah, it should look and like then a, I, a quintessential robot. Yeah, and then I thought about it more, and it'd be really cool if it didn't have any specific like uh, fixed form, like a like a T two thousand or something. Oh, like liquid. Yeah, like it could take any Is form it needs, it needs to. Or I, I don't, I don't actually know what exactly. I don't remember my my Terminator model numbers. I actually did <laughs> you, watch the most recent Terminator very recently. But yeah, the, it. It congratulations. Great. Yeah, the huh? liquid one. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean like yeah, it was like oh, it's great. It's a Terminator movie, but like. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, There's a, um, talking of, um, we mentioned the future before. Yeah. Um, there is a wonderful word called retrofuturism, which mm. is looking at what the past thought the future would look like. Oh, yeah. And it's really, really interesting to see these images. Is steampunk related to retrofuturism? Well, I feel steampunk is more like alternate futurism. Okay, so yes. what happens right, if, right. if steam instead of uh, everything else, yeah, everything yeah instead else. of electricity instead of, really yeah. is, is what started powering things. Mm -hmm. um, but I have this wonderful um, uh, picture of, um, it, it's this magazine article talking about how in the future everyone's house will have a computer. And it has this big room-sized computer with giant tape reels and flashing yes. lights. And this means because the future has... Um, um, uh, computers, 
Um, it also means that computer crime will be an issue. And so you have this computer criminal who has broken into someone's house and has stolen the tapes. And they're running down the street with these enormous tape reels under their under their arm with like this futuristic helmet and everything. Nice, because that's the future. Because it's the future. Mask, yeah. And the best part is they're being chased by police in a flying car. And yep. it is it is by far my favorite image of the future because it's like you've got so much of this right in terms of there are computer hackers and everyone has a computer, but the computers are totally different. And also, and we, don't have flying cars. we still don't have flying cars. No, still not a thing. We have drones now, which are essentially replacing the need for flying cars as long as you don't need to transport humans. Yeah. So they're really good for like transporting. I think recently we saw the first commercial delivery of like coffee and donuts. Using oh, okay. a drone, using yeah. Drone. Yeah, you don't transport people. And of course, the, um, what's the, like, the reason why we can never have the... Uh, nice things. Well, nice things, but the reason why we can never have the Jetsons foldable car where you just, like, fold your car up and put it in a slot is because it would violate the law of the conservation of mass. Yes. <laughs> um, because you can't, like, make a car, even if you could make a car that small, it would still weigh a ton. Yep. And you could not pick it up. <laughs> yep, but you could, you know, possibly have quick-fabbed cars or something like quickly fabricate a car. Um, actually, there is, talking of fabricating cars, there is a group in DC called Local Motors that 3D prints cars. And they've recently started uh, 3D printing their little autonomous, um, uh, like, minibuses. So they okay. hold, like, you know, 10 or 12 people, and they drive themselves using, I think it's IBM Watson platform is what they're using there. Okay. Um, but, yeah, they've got, like, you know, if you're in New York, you can do a day trip down there, and they've got a really, oh. really interesting lab, and it's like, here is where we 3D print vehicles. And mm. so that's... And, yeah, and you can just go visit? Or you, you can just go visit. Well, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, ask them nice they're first. Nice but yes. <laughs> um, at Escape Velocity, which was the sci-fi convention I was at, um, they were inviting people to, like, you know, walk two blocks down the street and, and go check them out. They're in National Harbor. Oh, cool. Yeah. So a question I thought of uh, is that I feel like this is something that our listeners would think is, especially when you encounter someone like you, who, like, basically sounds like, like, what what was your title that you would almost have on business cards? Um, was it again? Freedom-loving scientist? Freedom-loving scientist? career ADD? <laughs> no, but I mean, but you have so many projects, and like they all sound awesome oh, like and interesting. Science educator so how, or troublemaker. How do you even? I, how do I do all how, these things? Yeah, how do you even? Um, so um, there's many factors here. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, I don't know if you've encountered Patreon or not. Okay, yeah. Um, so for a, a while, um, I was using uh, Patreon with CCAN. And so it's like, you know, I'm working on free software and I had really, really wonderful uh, users who were like, Paul, every time you, you know, do enough hours on Patreon, that you, you get a chunk of money. And that was done in a way, not that it was like a monthly payment, it was each month if I do sufficient sprints on the CCAN. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I... I like that. I really liked it as well. Because it's still, well, it's a mixture. It's like... The, there's a nice way of not tying it to labor because then you aren't tying it to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of convincing more people to like, I am supporting you for this particular thing. It's like, oh, like you're crowdsourcing people to hire you for a service. Well, I guess, and I liked that because it meant that I felt I could take time off as well. Yeah. Because um, I could say, okay, well, I'm I'm busy. I'm like traveling and doing talks this month. I'm not doing the CCAN stuff. But my my Patreon supporters don't get 
like they don't get they charged. Don't get filled. Yeah. yeah. So that I very, very much like. And that's still there. And for a little while that was actually paying my rent because I had a, a matching grant from the open source developers club in Australia. Oh, cool. Um, so that was very, very cool. Um, I also have it still very much in its infancy, a little Patreon campaign for me doing public speaking and mm -hmm. writing on the internet and so on and so forth. But the interesting thing with Patreon is that it's not so much how much I'm doing work and interesting things. Mm -hmm. It's much more how well am I marketing my Patreon campaign? Yeah. Which is sort of your classic dilemma with these sorts of things. How much energy do you put into it in yeah. order to? Absolutely. Um, but I'm also very lucky in that I, when I do public uh, speaking and travel and everything, I often have uh, conferences and organizations that will sponsor my travel and, and speaking. And that doesn't really make money, but it means that I'm able to travel at essentially no cost. Right. And that makes it much, much easier to, you know, go to New York and spend time at the Recurse Center or give mm -hmm. a talk or all of those sorts of things. Um, but generally, I have very, very low expenses um, and I avoid working as much as possible. And so that's <laughs> that's how I end up doing everything else and uh, modding games and building escape rooms, although that pays me a minimal amount of money uh, to cover my time there. Nice. Yeah, but and I can also do, um, I also do training courses, which actually pay a bit amount, a bit of money, and if I absolutely have to, then I can do consulting. Right. Because turns out, if you have lots of software engineering skills, people will pay you money people as a will consultant. Pay you yeah. Yeah. So okay, with that, I think we should go ahead and do picks. German. Uh, uh, I'm first. Not making you first. All right. Uh, What's the music for the week? Music for the week. So pop, pop type song. It's called. Uh, I think it's called a little bit more. I forget the person's name that sings it, but I'll put it in the show notes. And then um, my programming pick is a tool called REST Client, which I'm surprised I haven't picked yet. But uh, I use Emacs, and instead of using a tool like Postman or another API execution tool, uh, I just use my editor. It's called RESTClient.el, and those are my picks. Cool. Uh, Justin? Or I can go if you want to putt for a minute. No, no, I can go. Um, I will pick uh, Paperless Post. I know that they're... Oh, you guys oh, work there. Job. Did you, really? I, yeah. I was going to say they're a fairly, fairly popular uh, East Coast tech company. Um, <laughs> lots of notable people in the Ruby and JavaScript community have, have worked there. Uh, oh, like, yeah. like Like Pam. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, no, so if you've used like Evite or Anyvite before, uh, it's a way better version of those, but they also sell paper invitations. Who did you get paper? I was there when we built that. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we, we created invitations for our daughter's second birthday uh, and e emailed them to people. And then we wanted to give some to people that we didn't know their email address that we usually see in person and not online. Mm -hmm. So we... Uh, we took the same invitation and just hit a couple buttons and printed out 10 more to be delivered to our house. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool service. It's interesting. They have like this other currency called uh, coins and I think you earn, you can either buy coins or you earn coins by, by buying uh, physical paper cards. Uh, so we had bought paper cards last year for something else. And then we went to go send uh electronic invitations, email invitations this year. We already had a lot of coins from that. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a super pleasant service uh, to use, paperless post. They also have an cool. iPhone app. 
So my pick for this week is there's this blog post, uh, WTF is Operations, that I really liked. It's actually, it's from the end of May, but it's a, a two-part blog post that I really enjoyed in terms of some some really nice opinions on what's going on in, in operations. And since I've been doing a lot of uh, AWS Lambda lately, this this is from uh, Charity gave this talk at uh, the serverless comp. And so this is the, the blog post related to that talk. And I, I was just really into it. So that's my pick for the week. Now I wish we spent the whole time interviewing you about uh, AWS Lambda, because that's something which is on my to-learn list. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, after we finish recording, we can like do some Lambda stuff. That sounds on. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so then now, Paul, what's your pick? Um, so how many picks am I allowed to have? You can have, I mean, like three maybe is probably like the maximum. I don't know. Okay. There's not like laws. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you said I can. Uh, you should plug yourself. I can for plug sure. myself. For sure. um, so, uh, PJF on Twitter, uh, PJF.au on the internet, um, and if you search for like Paul Fenwick YouTube, um, I do lots and lots and lots of public speaking, and it'll come up with lots and lots of talks. Um, in terms of interesting technology, I've been working with um, recently. I've discovered cool retro term, which is oh, a. Right. I saw you tweet about that. Yeah, it's a terminal that makes your terminal look like an old, like Apple II or Commodore 64 or IBM PC, like these old ones. And you have like static and you have screen distortion nice. and you have <laughs> phosphor decay. And so I'm now using that for practically all of my terminals because it makes me look like a hacker. Oh, and that's, that's a valid reason to use it. That's one thing I realized at Hope yeah. is that I didn't match the, the, the stereotype from Hollywood enough. And so I had to like have, you know, rather than like nice, clean, easy to read fonts. I need like dirty, grimy, like phosphor decaying fonts and everything. Nice. Um, so that's uh, one thing. Um, the escape room uh, back in Melbourne, uh, it's a wonderful group called Pop-Up Playground um, who do like amazing games and everything. And I've been fanboying them for a while. So uh, getting an invite to work with them is very, very exciting. Um, that's not official yet, but I'm guessing if this goes to air, it is. Um, <laughs> And um, I'm trying to think of what else I should be plugging. Um, um, oh, um, actually, there's a wonderful short film uh, called Wanderers, which is a four-minute-long film um, about the future of... a really short, short film. It is a very, very short film about the future of, of space exploration. So it's one of my favorite short films on the planet and is absolutely wonderful. Um, if you want to feel uncomfortable about the future instead, then there's a wonderful short film uh, called Uncanny Valley. Oh, I mean, that's a great title. Yeah. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers about it. It's it's well worth watching. It's also about four minutes long. Cool. Yeah, it's very doable. So if everyone watches that, we can maybe talk about it next oh week. Oh, my goodness. I would <laughs> love to talk about possible futures. That would be really fun. It's super fun. Yeah. All right, well, so then that's our episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at TuringCool, uh, website Turing.cool, and I'll talk to you all next week. Cool. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Goodbye. Yeah, thanks for nice coming on. Nice meeting you.